This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa podcast. Mea Culpa is taking a break this week to celebrate Passover and Easter. While every Seder is special, this one is extra special meaning for me this year. Quite simply, it's my first as a free man. I can't help but relate to Passover's larger ritual meaning as a celebration of the Jews' release from bondage and their exodus from Egypt. All of you know my story by now, but few of you know that the origins of this show and my transformation from Trump cult member to fighter for the Trump resistance began on Passover. It was nearly a year into my 36-month sentence at the Otisville Federal Correctional Facility and was waiting to be taken to solitary confinement, known in prison parlance as the shoe or the segregated housing unit for some bullshit situation that took place. Prison is nothing more than a series of deprivations and degradations meant to break your spirit and mind, and my trip to solitary was punishment for a verbal fight that turned barely physical that I'd gotten into with another inmate over the phone. I mean, where I thought that he had said something that he didn't. I was, after all, writing what would become my book Disloyal, my memoir of my years working for Donald Trump as his most trusted lawyer, soldier, and fixer. At any moment, I knew prison guards would arrive to pack up my belongings. That's what they do. And often, just to fuck with you, they toss out everything in your cell, claiming it was contraband. Hidden in my cell happened to have also been a 500-odd page preliminary manuscript for the tell-all that I decided to ultimately call disloyal. Now, if the guards found that manuscript, I'd be completely fucked. First off, these guys all love Trump. They were big Trump toadies, so who knows what they would do to me personally. They also love to leak stories about me to the press. Finding that manuscript would be a fucking jackpot for whichever hack tossed my cell. In a stroke of luck, it happened to be the first night of Passover, the holiday for which Jewish people forgo leavened bread and replace it with matzah, and Otisville houses a fair number of Orthodox inmates who were preparing to observe. As such, they built a customary fire to torch the chumetz, which is the unleavened products on the premises. With little time to spare, I grabbed my manuscript and made my way to the fire and dropped the pages in and watched them burn. It was excruciating. I mean, that book to me was my salvation. In it, I had poured out my heart and come clean on things that I had done. In writing was my own personal exodus from bondage in the cult of Trump. Its writing had freed me in more ways than one. Thankfully, my wife had kept a copy of my book on a thumb drive, so the burning, while painful, was largely symbolic. That I would be later punished for the book's publication and returned to solitary confinement had not yet dawned on me. In short order, I had made an enemy of the most powerful man on earth and his henchman, Attorney General Bill Barr. This would trickle down to the Bureau of Prisons and Department of Corrections, and even after my release to home confinement when COVID struck, these people would continue to fuck with me. That story is the subject of my next book, which I can't wait for all of you to read, and will be called The Department of Injustice. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa ain't Elijah, but he's pretty damn close. 
His name is Joe Trippi, and he spent the better part of 40 years at the forefront of democratic politics as the campaign manager for a host of progressive political candidates. Since 1980, Trippi has run campaigns for everyone from Jerry Brown to Howard Dean, inventing the modern grassroots political campaign in the process. In 2004, as the national campaign manager for Howard Dean's presidential campaign, Trippi pioneered the use of online technology to organize what became the largest grassroots movement in presidential politics. Through his innovative use of the internet for small dollar fundraising, Dean for America raised more money than any Democratic presidential campaign to that point, all with donations averaging less than $100. According to The Atlantic magazine, Trippi's influence on Democratic Party politics has been profound and lasting. The small-dollar internet donor base, attracted by Dean and flogged relentlessly by Trippi, has transformed the party's fundraising. Every single campaign uses Trippi-patented tactics to raise money. The men and women Joe Trippi cultivated and Dean's staff have stormed the gates and occupied positions of power in major party and campaign offices. Most recently, Trippi was a senior strategist on Doug Jones' historic victory in Alabama, helping elect the first Democrat U.S. Senator in Alabama in 25 years, and later helped engineer a number of groundbreaking House victories for Democratic candidates. Nowadays, Trippi is the host of That Trippi Show, a podcast from Project Lincoln, where he discusses modern campaigning, government, and the chaotic shit show that defines the modern GOP. He joins me today on Mea Culpa as the Democrats try and find a way to beat back the red wave that threatens to bring back a Republican majority and usher in a new authoritarian era in Washington. As usual, Trippy is wise, he's funny, and holds nothing back. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Joe, you recently highlighted a tweet from Jonathan Lemire saying, and I quote, Six months out from the midterm elections, Biden's team is betting that smaller, discreet announcement can break through to voters better than talk of transformational plans that are so far only aspirational. Now, my question to you is, what are the Democrats and Biden going to do to truly change the midterm election narrative? Because I live in an existential fear that these fucking lunatics are going to gain back both the House and the Senate. And it's unfathomable that people will vote these people into office knowing what they do and what they've done to destroy our democracy. So what's happening here politically that Biden's approval levels are so low and that we stand to lose the House and possibly the Senate? And more importantly, what can be done to reverse it? Well, I mean, first of all, I think they're right to start to get to um, things that they can get accomplished and, and, and prove that they can get things done. But, you know, in these small bites. But uh, I wish they had sort of figured that out uh uh, you know, six months, a year ago, that, you know, billions of dollars were spent to do it. And they repeat the lies over and over and over again. And, and look, repeated lies will be unrepeated truth every time. And that's the problem. The Democratic Party needs to start repeating the truth and make this a choice, not a referendum. 
I mean, it's a choice between the crazy radicals on the right uh, and, and a competent uh, government, and they have and they have to do that all across the board. Forty two, forty four million jobs have been created over the last like six presidencies. Forty two million of them were Democrats created by Democrats. Two million total by Republicans, but no one knows that. In fact, last poll shows that most Americans still think we lost jobs last year. So they're not, we're not repeating the truth in the same, and by the way, there's no way, it's your voice, it's it's Lincoln Project, Midas Touch, all these people out there that are the only people that are repetitively speaking the truth about the liars. Uh, but the party writ large has to do that, Biden, the leadership, and they've got to make it a contrast a, a choice, not allow the lies to create a referendum, uh, a phony referendum, frankly, on, on, on the Biden administration. You know, we talk about this on Mea Culpa all the time, the Donald Trump Stalinistic approach to truth. Right. You know, there's the old saying by Stalin, you know, if you repeat something over and over and over again, it ultimately becomes the truth. And you're right. The Republicans have managed to absolutely perfect this. They've perfected the ability to lie with impunity so often and in so many places that people actually begin to believe that it's true. And we see Putin doing the same thing when exactly. he's talking about the Ukraine with Russia. But here's the thing. You bring up a point that I've been trying to get out there for God knows how long, probably since I started this podcast a little oh, coming close now to a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. Whose fault is it that we are, as Democrats, ill-prepared to enter into the midterm election? Whose fault is it that the message from people like myself, Lincoln Project, uh, Midas Touch, you know, um, you know, a half a dozen yeah. people all together, whose fault is it? And I'm going to tell you my opinion. Okay. And then I'm going to ask you yours. I hold Jamie Harrison responsible. Now, most people are scratching their head and saying, who the fuck is Jamie Harrison? So let me tell you who he is. He's the chair of the Democratic National Committee. All right. He's the one that should be reaching out to Lincoln Project. He's the one that should be reaching out to Midas Touch, to myself, organizing the same way that Republicans have CPAC. Democrats should have DPAC. And Put up onto the podium a slew of individuals that will tell you the truth about Donald Trump, the truth about the Republicans, the truth about why we need to ensure that both the House and the Senate stay Democrat. Because rest assured, when the House changes, it's going to be a real problem. It'll be a oh. real problem for Joe Biden, because I promise you, within 15 minutes of everybody's inauguration, there will be impeachment proceedings. And if, in fact, that they take the Senate and then they have the ability to do it, they will convict him simply for things about whether it's about Hunter and Burisma, whether it's about Afghanistan and it, all of these other items. It won't that matter. They It'll be all it'll, they'll just do it. I agree with you. I also think, frankly, Look, it's beyond that. It's like democracy itself, because by 2024, if we think that 139 of them in the House wouldn't certify Joe Biden as the duly elected president of the United States, when that was just the majority of the caucus, but they didn't have the majority of the House, there's no way right. in hell they're they're going to they're going to certify the loser into 2024. Um, and that, that's why I think Trump runs 
me personally, I know, I don't know where you are on that, but I think he runs. You know, I'm, you know that I'm the exact opposite. Yeah. I don't believe he's running, and yeah. for a multitude of reasons. But please continue. No, I think they. I think he he might, and and will if they get the House majority back because he knows they'll certify him. They'll certify him whether he's. Yeah, I mean, they just will. Uh, but you know, look, I mean that. Uh, we can, you know, that's let's put that off to the side because you and I could talk about that, uh, 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 you know, and why we th- have difference of opinion there. But the reality is that they are. I mean, to get to your question, who's responsible? Look, the Democratic Party has been asleep at the switch for decades. Okay, let's like it, it's not fair to blame Jamie Harrison. I, I get where you're coming from on that. But the fact is, while the Republicans were sitting there focused on local elections and focused on winning legislative seats, um, the Democratic Party like thought that was like small potatoes, didn't put any effort into it until like the last two or three years here. Um, and so they they won all these legislatures. It's what uh, David Pepper uh, calls the Dave Pepper calls the uh, uh, uh uh, laboratories of autocracy, right? They were able to, to they're able then to pass these laws that we're seeing, and then other all the other right wing states where they've concentrated their legislative agenda, they pass them. Uh, Democrats didn't focus on that; just just became aware of that in the last few years and started to, to focus on that. They didn't focus at all on creating exactly what you're talking about. Uh, there's an outrage machine. They didn't create the pro-democracy machine, whatever you want to call it. But to put down the disinformation, to to put project uh, the truth out there, it, it, that didn't get created either. And the problem for Jamie Harrison is you can't look billions. And you know this billions of dollars were spent by people who invested in the Breitbart's and the OANs and the Newsmaxes and and Fox News. Uh, and that created that outrage uh, uh, mechanism, including the grassroots following on Twitter and elsewhere that Trump developed, in, you know, when he was on Twitter and kept growing. Uh, and so they've built that. It took them decades to do it. But it was it was all a plan. Right. Twenty years building up the strength localities uh, in local elections, building up the outrage machine. Um, being in, it, it push, putting people in power that were that are they're now purging anybody who won't do their bidding, uh, we see that, and the others are leaving. So I think the problem now is is I don't care who the party chair is today, you, you know, you're not going to rebuild that billions of dollars of investment of looking the other way of being blindsided and continually blindsided, doing nothing about it. Now you're the chairman and you've got 18 months to to build all that. Um, How about uh, build something? Yeah, that's where, build something. Look, look. No, with no, all due respect, I'm with you. With no, all no, due I'm, respect I'm with to you that, that. right? But with all due respect, so like I think the DPAC idea is a great idea. I mean, or, or something like that. A- absolutely, right? I mean, if they can have CPAC, we should have DPAC. I'll tell you another thing. When I was involved with Donald, and what I noticed is that his rallies, and I used to say this to him in front of both Corey Lewandowski, then Paul Manafort, and then even Steve Bannon who actually liked the fact that it was what it was, I said, your rallies, to me, they look like Klan meetings. There's no minorities. There's no diversity there. And so I created something with a guy named Pastor Daryl Scott from Ohio. We created something called um, 
we we call uh, the, the National Diversity Coalition for Trump, NDC. And what we managed to build is a list of more than 10, 15 million people, diverse people, whether they were Sikhs, sure. Muslims, Mexicans, Spanish, women, you name it, right? Morons for Trump. It didn't matter. We We had a group for everyone. And then the Republican Party, right after the victory, asked me if they can take control over NDC because they've never been able to accumulate this type of movement. And I'm saying to somebody like Jamie Harrison, you have people out there like myself, like yourself, like Lincoln, like Midas, like so many others. You know, uh, d- Democracy Now! There's so many groups that are out there. Get them all together. Yeah, uh, say, uh, wh- say, everybody, come on down to... Right, come down to D.C. We're having a meeting. Now... What Trump did, all right, for 2016 is he understands people's anger because he's just an angry man himself. Right. And he understood people's anger. What are they angry about? You ask nine out of 10 or even let's go 99 out of 100 individuals on the street, Republican, Democrat, Independent. Would you say that your politician is for you or for themselves? 99 out of 100 will say that they are for themselves. Would you say that politicians are full of shit? 99 out of 100 will say absolutely. And so will I, Republican, Democrat, or Independent. And that's what Trump did. He honed in on people's animus towards politicians because the truth is that they don't live up to their promises. And that's why Joe Biden right now, according to CNBC, his approval level has fallen to its absolute lowest. And most of it is the result of economic pessimism. Well, the economic pessimism, though, is still part of the big lie, Michael. I mean, you know, again, as I go back and look at it, you look at the reality. We have the fastest growing economy in the world right now, faster than we're growing faster than China. And that that hasn't happened in two decades. Uh, By the way, the rest of the world has the same supply chain issues, all those things. And that's what you know, that is driving up inflation and all, all those things. But they are just inflation is the new outrage machine. Right. I mean, again, it's that it's that uh, anger that people do feel. I mean, they should. They go to the gas pump and they see that. Uh, uh, But there's no um, there's nothing coming back, repeating the accomplishments and the things that that the Democrats have actually done. Uh, You know, again, covid, um, you know, they voted against all the covid relief. The Republicans voted against all of it. Uh, every step of the way. Um, uh, but it's hard to, you know, studies come out saying that's that, that what the policies of the Biden administration did so, save two million lives. But they're, they're, that's hard to, to 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 make that case. They they understand the outrage like it's now like I saw yesterday Abbott sending the a couple dozen migrants that they got in Texas and shipping them to, to Washington, D.C. Um, on a bus and guess who was there uh, at Union Station when the bus pulled up? Fox News was the only only news, whatever you want to call Fox, not news. Right. But, but, you know, the only camera there was a Fox camera. Just happened to know where the bus was showing up. Of course, up. Right, right. exactly. So, right. so now we have, well, hold on, we have the cara- caravan panic season has started early. Maybe it's climate change or something that caused that. But we have, we have literally caravan panic is now 
going to be the next outrage uh, again for you know for until they can come up with the next one with Hunter's laptop, whatever it is. Um, uh, I don't disagree with you. What I but I I still go back to it's been 20 years of a outrage machine making the case that you're talking about. Government doesn't work for you. They're all on the take, you know, et cetera, which allows a guy like Trump to become president. Right. Because hell. Absolutely. And and so now what I'm saying, I'm not I do not disagree with anything you're saying. What I, I, I I'm putting my sort of finger on what the real problem is, though. How do you and I agree with you do something. But the the real problem here is after being asleep at the switch for 20 years to an authoritarian project that was ongoing with Koch brothers, you know, different people funding it, Murdoch, et cetera, um, you get to a place where, oh, okay, geez, we don't have that. Well, there's absolutely, that's why I, we started the union over at the Lincoln Project, you join the union.us, which was, Hey, everybody. I mean, we're doing what you sort of talked about. We're, we're saying everybody out there, we don't care if you're Republican, former Republican, independent, Democrat. If you want to stand and fight for democracy and stop these folks, go and join the union. I mean, I mean the union in the more perfect union and the union mm-hmm. that Lincoln saved. That's what, in that spirit. You know, 50,000 Americans have signed up, um, including, by the way, like a thousand lawyers who are saying, yeah, I want to help get court injunctions to keep polls open, you know, we'll get them to Mark Elias or whatever. So it's it's about build. And a lot of them are joining a comms core to take on the disinfo. OK, you know, so, okay. so, you know, so that, Joe. we have to build it because I don't think we can wait for right. the institutional players out there to get what's going on. That's what I, that's where I'm I'm coming from. And so maybe it's the union then that should be doing DPAC. But when you start to see President Biden's numbers, right, If you have 50 million or 25 million people that are already signed up with union, what did you say it was? Union.us? Join the union.us. All right. If you have 25 million, there's not a stadium in America that can, right? The only thing that could could deal with that would be an Instagram live or some form of internet type of, you know, um, connection. But when you start to see as Jamie Harrison, and I stick my, look, Shit rolls downhill. The buck stops with the big guy. All right. So when you turn around and you see Joe Biden's numbers starting to slip to a new low of 38 percent approval, by God, you better do something other than worrying about raising money. Because it's not money that's going to get him in or kicked out. And what they don't do, something you talked about correctly, absolutely appropriate as well. Nobody's talking about the accomplishments of the Biden administration. And you're you're dead. You're dead correct on that. One point two trillion dollars in the bipartisan bipartisan infrastructure bill. One point nine trillion in the covid relief package. Right. Forty one federal judges, more than anybody since Reagan. Then you have the you know, the commitment to combat climate change. You also have Afghanistan and people can say whatever they want about Afghanistan. One hundred and twenty five plus thousand people were evacuated safely versus 13 unfortunate people that died from a suicide bomber. And then you have finally died helping those hundred and. 20,000 in the mission to get them all out. That's, 
I mean, it, 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 that's my point, though. But the big lie is to is to Afghanistan, you know, all the you know, the, the one day of, of withdrawing from I mean, it, it, you know, it's just playing it over and over and over, again. over and over and over. That's the, the problem. And so what what I think the, what, what Democrats have gotten wrong is this notion that, oh, we announced um, this many jobs got created today. And we we do it that day, and then we never talk about it again, right? I mean, right. in other words, it's like not, it's it's not understanding that the, the dynamics of communications have changed dramatically. Trump got that, um, Democrats did not. E- even though we st- I started in two thousand three with the Dean campaign, trying to create this new different way where you could you you could uh, you know constantly uh, get your message out uh, around all the different other media out there, and two, which I think is the bigger point, empower thousands, millions of Americans to take action for on behalf of their country, which is what the union's about. It's about if we can get 50, our, our goal is not 50,000 Americans, right? It's to get, like you said, get a force out there that's so big, it's, it, you have to contend with it, right? Uh, it's, it's, it becomes it becomes a force of truth. But right. let me then let me ask you this in furtherance, because President Biden seems to have an issue with being able to drive out the Democratic base to go out and vote. Now, I know that I say that Jamie Harrison should be doing something, but there's nobody who has a bigger and a better microphone than Joe Biden. Now, he was given the benefit of the doubt in 2020 by the left to drive out. Donald J. Trump. I mean, that was basically what he needed to do. He won because Trump is a scumbag. And instead of doing something, they did nothing. And now, you know, they're frustrated people. Democrats, myself included, are frustrated with his inability to deliver on election year promises. So it's kind of a no-win situation. And here comes the question for you, Joe. It's hard to to deliver a lot on on many of those promises because you have a Senate where they just stop anything, you know, where they can where where you have Ted Cruz, you you know, and and Lindsey Graham and you know, I mean, a, a bunch of people. Well, let me ask you, but let me, yeah, but let me ask you the question that I really want sure. on this okay. one. So how does a centrist president facing an onslaught from the far right energize the left without alienating the centrist voters, right? Because it's a tricky political question that I've never seen before. And I figure who better to ask than well, Joe Trippi? Well, first of all, there's a couple things. One is, you have to make this this election has to be a choice, not a referendum. They're going to try to make this a referendum on Biden and, you know, you, you know and, and the Democrats in power um, without pay, like they were innocent bystanders the entire way. Uh, they did nothing to help. Uh, I think we have to make this a choice. It's got to be a choice between the people who said covid was a hoax uh, versus People who tried it maybe didn't get it right all the time, but but actually delivered, got the relief funds out, out there, got the the testing happening, and all those things, got the 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 uh, the vaccines to to anybody who wanted one, um, and so the same thing on the on the economy, um, that was the infrastructure bill and all these other things that are creating these jobs out, out out there. We are the fastest growing economy in the, in the world. Everybody else has the same problems, high inflation, 
The UK Americans don't care about that. Right. Americans do not care. You know, half my family right. lives in Toronto, Canada, right? And every time that we would go there to visit, everything there is by the right. leader. And if you go ahead and you calculate, and I'm talking about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, and even five years ago, they were paying minimum of five plus dollars per gallon based right. upon the conversion from liters to gallons, right? And that's all everybody's talking about. Like I had this idiot friend of mine, though he's incredibly bright, you know, with the things that come out of his mouth, he's so up Trump's ass, I, I want to smash him, right? So he turns around and he says to me, I'm paying five dollars at the at the gas pump per gallon. We weren't paying that under Trump. And I said, Yeah, but you're paying four dollars and fifty cents for a bottle of water when you walk into the drugstore. Right? I mean, honest to God, and that's not for a gallon of water. That's you're talking about how much yeah, what is it? it you're uh, talking about sixteen point nine fluid ounces. Yeah, but that gets to the broader point um that I was about to make. It's that th this is not a about um, trying to 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 move uh, large segments of Republicans or large segments of independents, right? This is uh, about three, four, five percent, six percent. In other words, if you if we if we make it a choice, and that's what I'm saying, we have to make it a choice. And yes, they're they're going to keep telling you inflation, inflation, inflation. It's it's incumbent on Democrats to put the accomplish the economic accomplishments that have happened and make the case that we're better for you. It, it would be worse if these guys were in charge. Um, Ukraine. Is there any doubt it would be worse if Donald Trump would, had been reelected? I mean, is there any chance at hell that we'd be delivering anything to uh, other than I uh, another perfect call? And I've got another favor to ask before I send you, uh, uh, before I even think about it. He I mean, wouldn't. No, no, Joe, Joe. I know him better right. than anyone. If, in fact, that he was president right now, the aid would be going to Russia, not to the Ukraine. Right. You see, the so problem is that Zelensky. Make, that's the case. We have. That's what I'm trying to say. We have. To, it is a. This is not a referendum on this or that or. This is. You have to make a choice between. Two parties out there right now. One, chaos, crazy. Uh, I mean, just it, 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 and and obstructionists doing nothing, uh, voting against all the things that created the jobs and did for the most part. Um, there were a couple of bipartisan, you know, yeah, with quotes around bipartisan given the numbers. But uh, I just think we have to make that case repeatedly, and we need an army out there to make that case. I mean, an army of citizens on social media and otherwise, who are constantly pounding that message like they've created with their outrage machine and can plug straight in. I mean, look, you're right. There are people out there, they're never going to hear. I don't care if inflation dropped to 2% by the end of the year, they're still going to be screaming inflation, Biden, you know, Biden, uh, Biden spending created the, I guess, the global inflation that's out there. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about five or six percent who will move on. OK, I understand your argument and at least you're making it. And uh, and uh, the job, you know, and all these other things are, you know, overrun that concern. I also do think, by the way, that we may we may have, uh, you know, uh, uh, have seen peak inflation and that it will be declining between from now every month 
um, till we get to election day. And I think that will also have an impact if we make the case that yes, there because of COVID supply chain issues, because of Putin invading Ukraine, there there is oil is at the bottom of every inflationary move, right? It, you, the 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 trucks, by the way, that Abbott is stopping at the border. He's stopping every single truck at the Texas border coming from Mexico. Normally, they drive it across, and a, a, a U.S. Uh, driver gets in the truck and takes it to wherever it's going. Um, he's now um, creating a literally roadblock stopping those trucks. Why? Because that drives inflation. Those trucks don't get somewhere. If those parts don't get to Detroit, guess what? Mm -hmm. Cars cost more. So the Republicans are doing absolutely everything they can to make inflation worse. Why? Not because that's good for the country, but because they think that's good for them in this election. Inflation, right. inflation, inflation. And we aren't making that case. That's what I'm saying. Where are those where are the spots of those trucks being stopped? Where is the 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 outrage of what Abbott is doing in the same cadence and out? I mean, that's what I'm trying to say. It, it, with we never built that those millions of Americans to put that truth out there and, and, and make that case. That's what we I think what I think you might as touch Lincoln Project. Uh, bulwark, whoever, anybody who want, can needs to join in that effort to create, to get millions of Americans to join us in pushing the truth out, because I don't think institutionally the Democratic Party, I mean, the committees and those things don't, I just don't think that they, they get, they're already, by the way, one of the things that you saw, uh, uh, I think Massos in Nevada uh, uh, did a big press thing where they announced that they were um, placing a $20 million television buy for September and October of this year. In other words, they, they placed $20 million late. Like, you're, it, it, the party hasn't learned that. Okay. First well, of all, Joe. forget about TV and its impact. We're talking about we need to be putting that kind of money to build stuff right now. I'm with you on that. You don't need to pay for television. Right. Social media is even better. For God's sakes, Joe Trippi has, through your organization, 50 million names, email addresses, text numbers, and so on. Put it out there. You will then make we, sure every single one of those 50 million people sees it. That's Lincoln Project's it, success. That's Midas Touch's success. But I want to just talk because yeah, you but put you need something to add it really, all together and then, and then you know, you, you know, okay, it's a lot less the, than twenty million. Create the the uh, I would make it the PD PD pack, pro democracy pack, uh, I mean the CPAC, the PD pack, and right. and have a big uh, you know, start to have a big assembly and start to push. And the, how push about out. just and put it online? Put it online for everybody yeah. around the country to join. But you put something that's really interesting. It's been on my mind since you said it. You talk about the cadence of the Republican Party versus the Democratic Party. And the first thing that popped into my mind, let's talk about Hunter Biden's laptop, right? The fucking fury that it was all over the news, right? Not just the Fox News yeah. is the OANs, the Newsmax and so on. But then it got brought up, of course, by CNN and MSNBC and ABC and NBC, CBS, etc. At a much lesser degree. Meanwhile, I don't see the same sort of, you know, vitriolic response 
over Jared Kushner receiving $2 billion from Saudi Arabia, that you have the Capitol under attack on January 6th. And where is Jared Kushner? He's sitting there having food with Mohammed bin Salman in Riyadh. No, and that's me. There's no mechanism to continue that push, push, push like they do. And the in the mainstream media, it's a one day story. It's a one off. You know, Jared Kushner, two billion dollars. We may never hear it again uh, on, on those on, on on you know in the mainstream media. They're just that's the news today. It's it, that's the problem. That there is no mechanism. Like the the right wing media was never going to call Trump out, right? It's it they're gonna they're gonna amplify and everything he does is good. There's nothing he does that's bad. That the mainstream media is not going to work that way for Democrats. I don't care how uh, many uh, you know magas think it's a lamestream media. That that you know that they're just never going to do that. It's not they 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 don't get the threat either. I think one of the things that you know Stuart Stevens talks about is that we we still lack the imagination to understand how far they're willing to take this. Uh, the same people who said, well, Trump could never get elected. Uh, well, he did. The same people who would say January 6th could never happen in America. Well, guess what? It did. Now you say this authoritarian party wants to take out, you know, end our democracy for their and keep power for themselves. And everybody, you still have, I think, a lot of people in Washington, a lot of citizens out there uh, who've lived in this country for a long time and still to this day don't believe that that's possible in America. It would never happen here. Um, uh, now, there, I'm with you. There are millions of Americans who understand exactly what the threat is. We need to harness them and bring, give them a place and empower them to join a movement to take these people on. And that's what we were trying to, uh, are trying to do at jointheunion.us. But I, I kind of I like your idea, too, about then expanding, you know, doing the, the, the CPAC uh, a version of that and creating, you know, rallies across the country and things like that, where people can come and join and people give want it voice. to join. People yes. want to be part of something, which makes me move on for a second, because sure. one of the biggest fears that that I have, right, was always that Donald Trump would come back on Twitter because he was such an absolutely destructive, destructive force. Uh, on, you know, on Twitter. What about the possibility now of Elon Musk buying Twitter, right, and returning Trump to the platform and to unleash basically an anything goes mentality? Now, you seem nervous by the prospect yourself, as as am I, right? What is your major concern here on how Twitter could be abused in the era of Elon Musk? And how has the social media death spiral, as you've called it, contributed to the death of democracy? Well, look, there's a I mean, I mean look, look at Facebook and, and Zuckerberg and how those algorithms um, pushed and divided, you know, kept people engaged by clicking what they wanted to see, hear and see. That's where where I think it will, you know, Twitter would go. Uh, under Elon Musk, and I guarantee you, I, I would be shocked if Trump isn't right back on the platform if, if Elon Musk uh, uh, owns Twitter. Um, uh, it it is, I think, uh, to answer your question. I think, look, I 
I had after the Dean campaign, you know, I I thought it was all the technology was going to create a, a utopia. I mean, I was very utopian about it. There were a lot of dystopian people who said, wait, this is you're 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 not realizing what could happen here. I did say in my book that um, the technology doesn't know good from evil of who's using it. It's technology and it can be used for good or for, for bad. Um, I think it, the, the, the way it, it, the, the bigger platforms were created um, to build engagement around um, anger, um, you, you know, anger response, anger response, anger response, division uh, made it, it made made Facebook and Twitter are both places that I think, yes, social media has is is actively destroying our democracy every day. Um, and it's the logarithms. And I don't believe that's going to get better under Elon Musk. I, I, I don't know that it can get worse than it already is other than you add Trump and all those folks back into it, into that medium. Um, and in, I don't see how you turn it back. The, the problem with trying to turn it back um, is I, th- I think it, it, it would take all, of, again, the same thing. Can you get to 25 million Americans who get what's going on and start to use those platforms and to get our messages out in a better way than than the instead of waiting around for the institutional leaders to to make statements and things we have to do but it that's their joe that's their job yeah i mean that's well, jamie harrison's job that's the job of the democrats listen you know I'm constantly, you know, calling out like Ted Lieu, Hakeem Jeffries, you know, or so many of these others where, you know, they wrote letters. They went on television to talk about, you know, oh, you know, this unconstitutional remand of Conan. I'm just using myself as the example. They all stand on a platform and they bang their hands onto the table and they show that they're they're animated and they're fucking angry and we're not going to take it anymore and i say bullshit because you never find out what ended up happening with their anger or what happened with anything that they were ever trying to accomplish and uh, this again is exactly what trump did in order to tell people listen i'm not in the pockets of anybody i'm really rich folks like really super rich and nobody can buy me right it's just not true and that's what we're seeing we're seeing that they're yeah, he was, shit. He and was, that's why you, that's why you with your group, right, um, join. Um, the, you know, the, I'm telling all of my listeners, you must join. We must all join get the together. Union, join the yes. union.us. That's where you got to go. We must all absolutely join this. And we all have to be active. And we have to be, we have to be angry ourselves. Otherwise, Look, we are going to watch our democracy fall into the toilet. Yeah, and also... You know, Michael, I just want to say, look, you you see all these, you know, this congressman or that Democratic leader expressing, um, you know, anger about this or that. First of all, go on, uh, you, you go on Twitter. They, they're all angry about 18 different things. I mean, because of what's, go- you know, they're angry about the laptop thing. They're angry about inflation, you know, whatever the, the, the bus, the bus coming up from uh, Abbott uh, from Texas. Um they're not all on the same, you know, it's, they're not on the same message, you know, in terms of what this choice is first. And then even 
If they were, like I said, until you build something like the union, where there's millions of Americans committed to like, yeah, we're going to fight this and, and I'm going to be part of the, the, the fight, the disinformation and the, and the outrage machine that the rights created. We don't. So we need both things. Right. Is what I'm trying to say. And I'm not disagreeing with you about, you know, whether the DNC should have done this or, or that. I'm just saying it's a it's a task that I think, look, you can't wait for Merrick Garland. You can't wait for the Southern District of New York. You can't wait for a committee in Washington. It's us. And um, and uh, we need everybody, you know, or in the water to build the 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 structure, which which the Lincoln Project put into creating the website and in the signups. And and you'll see it's not your normal. This is not sign up, give a, your email address. And by the way, there's a donate button. No, there's no date donate button at at the union. This is, no, we want to know where you live, what you want to do. Are you an attorney who can help with the legal stuff? Are you a laid off local uh, print reporter who no longer has a job in journalism? Do you, will you sign up to help us fight the comms war and join the, the, the comms core? We have a tech core. If you're in technology at Google or somewhere and you're an engineer and you have extra time, can you help us build the tools that empower people to take their country back, you know, in, in, from these people um, and, and defend it? Um, and so, uh, we, you know, there's an activist core. If, if you want to uh, organize, help register voters, get them out or, or persuade door to door, you can join that. So it asks you specific things about what you're interested. Hey, I, we've got people who like do not want to knock on doors. I mean, they're just that's like, oh, my God, I don't want to do that. OK, but they're a graphic designer. They can design the posters and things that we, that, you know, and get and we can put shoot them out to the Full, fully, the fully under fully understand. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things I personally believe that Elon Musk is like the genius of our generation, at least my generation, so on. I really do. I think he's an absolute genius. However, when I start to hear things like Elon Musk saying that Twitter should follow the laws of the countries, that it operates um, and not regulate user speech, I have a real serious problem with that because until you are on the opposite side of that hate speech, right? right. Um, and I don't have like Elon Musk three hundred and ten billion dollars. Right. Where even if even if I spent five hundred million dollars on a militia to keep me safe, I don't have that. So it's easy for him to say because he hasn't experienced you know people throwing you know Snapple bottles or something at him while walking in the street. You know it's it's not exactly the way he thinks. I appreciate. First Amendment. Lord knows I went to prison because I wouldn't waive my First Amendment constitutional rights. And I was somewhat skeptic when Trump was thrown off of Twitter. But then again, the ongoing continuous misinformation, he was warned and he doesn't care. But I do want him to just move forward for a quick second and ask you this. You recently retweeted a fascinating and utterly terrifying article in The Atlantic by yeah. Jonathan Haidt. Yeah. Yeah. About how I knew <laughs> about how the past 10 years of American life has been uniquely stupid. It charts not just the divide between the red and the blue states, but the complete fracturing of our society across all divides. Now, things are simply falling apart in your mind. 
What was that article saying about how we got where we are? And what can the Democrats do to prevent Trump and his MAGA fascists from continuing to exploit those divides? Well, I mean, that that article is a must read. uh, uh, I I don't know. Maybe you could put it in your show notes or something for people to, to take a look at. But it is a terrifying read about how social media and the logarithms um, for 20, you know, for the last 10 years, uh, starting around 2012, um, cr- fragmented the entire country. Uh, everybody taking sides over everything stupid and no one being able to find agreement over any of the important things because they were so busy um, uh, chasing stupid or falling for stupid. Um, and uh, he makes a strong case that uh, I, I think that uh, he, he does not look at this as partisan, as you pointed out. He, he makes the case of here's how the Republicans fell for this and, and, and went down the rabbit hole. And here's how Democrats have, have fallen down the rabbit hole. And, and now everybody has. And like you said, we're, we're, it, 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 I read it and it's terrifying because when you read the whole thing, um, the question you ask of how do we come out of it is, and I don't mean as a party, how to, dem- I, I think it's, it's, we have to somehow instill the, 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 the word citizen again um, in people. I mean, get them to see themselves as citizens of, you know, in living together, not agreeing on, we, we, we may not agree on a lot of stuff, but we have to live through this and, and get through these problems t- together. That means you're, Michael, I know you're not going to get everything you want. I sure as hell know I'm not going to get everything I want. But we either have somehow we have to to do that while all these logarithms are uh, in social media and and those that exploit them are continuing to get everybody to chase the rabbit down the rabbit hole instead of finding that that common citizenship as citizens of of a nation. You look at this even now with with Russia. I mean, the number of I mean, Tucker, the all, you know, uh, Trump talking about, you know, uh, Putin's a genius, um, the number of pe- the number of Republicans who 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 are siding with Russia in this thing uh, is just astonishing. To me. The number of Americans, forget about Republicans, um, because of the disinfo that's out there. Well, you know, I was talking with a previous guest who was stating, you know, it's not just misinformation and disinformation anymore. There's also a third um you know, category for it, which is called malinformation. And it's a really serious problem. You know, you start to see these individuals on television uh, who are in the Ukraine right now talking about, uh, like there was a a woman who was saying that she just got her daughter out of the Ukraine to the United States. Her mother and father, as well as her mother-in-law and father-in-law, believe that Russia is doing a noble thing. Yeah. Why? Because the only thing they listen to is RTV, right? Russian television. And if you watch Russian television 24-7, it's like watching Fox News and thinking you're ever going to vote for a Democrat. You're not. And it's it's become very dangerous. I don't mind partisan divide. I yeah. that's Republicans, Democrats, we've been we've been divided since the very beginning. But the vitriol and the the um the hatred that it's now eliciting, if you're a Democrat in, for example, let's say like Alabama, 
right? Or oh, yeah. in certain well, areas of Texas, right? You're in serious fucking trouble. No different than if you're a Republican walking, say, in Los Angeles or here in Manhattan. It's not a good thing, which, of course, we see, which is why the entire Trump family skedaddled out of New York and fled down to Palm Beach, right, which is, you know, their safe haven. But, you know, look, we could talk about this all day long. It's really, it is an article that I believe everyone should read. Again, it's in the Atlantic, and it's by Jonathan uh, Haidt, H-A-I-D-T. So I certainly uh, recommend everyone, you know, to Google that. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this then, because as you've seen here in New York, there was a shooting, right? Yeah. The Brooklyn shooting literally happened just a day after President Biden announced his initiative to remove ghost guns from people's hands and other initiatives that were meant to announce a firmer stance on gun control. Now, the the right, right, as always, they've pushed back with its typical narrative as well. Are we going to see Biden using, you know, rising gun violence as a wedge issue going into the midterms, seeing that rising crime is terrifying people equally across the country? How how do you think that the right will use this to drive out their own base with firearms worship style attack ads from the likes of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who were so bold about, you know, their relationship to firearms that they literally put it on their Christmas cards? Well, look, they're going to do that. Uh, I think I think Biden would have gone much gone further uh, if, if there was any support in the Senate. Uh, I'm talking about McConnell and anybody to 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 do comments and things like background checks uh, and close down the background check loopholes. But it's a non-starter. He knows that. Um, I think the mistake is to not put it on the floor and let the Republicans vote it down. And then you have, hey, look, we're we're talking about common sense here. Background checks. So guys like this guy in Brooklyn would not be able to get that gun. Um uh, uh, it, you know, and, and I don't know, maybe he passed the background check. I, I, I'm not, I haven't well, he followed did. He that. did. When he yeah. first, when he first right. um, received the, the handgun that he bought this Glock right. 9 millimeter in but, Ohio, you know, but mind you, not, after that, he had six arrests in New York and three, I think, in New Jersey. That should have already yeah, alerted them. It, no, we're saying the same thing. I mean, you're not going to catch everybody with a background check, but a background check is not like, you know, we're not talking about taking your AR, your, your AR-15 away, right? You know, we're not doing that. They'll change it into that. They'll turn it into, uh, you know, Biden wants to take your guns. Uh, I think that the country is kind of fed up with um, not taking any action. Uh, and so I think the Republicans would pay a price if there were common sense gun issues that were put on the floor and make McConnell and them vote no i think that's a mistake i think those things like that that we, that we should be doing you know look you brought up the ar-15 and i'm very i am i'm pro second amendment prior to all this bullshit that happened to me and i've talked about this on this podcast before i i had three firearms i had a 45 sure. caliber a 40 caliber and a nine and a nine millimeter and i was one of a thousand people that was legally allowed to carry a concealed firearm in the city of new york well, I lost that as a direct result. However, something that I never understood, and it angers me, I don't understand how or why anyone should ever be allowed to buy an AR-15. 
Now they can turn and say, well, if a target shooting or, you know, or you don't, you know, no citizen should have an AR-15. It is a gun of war and it belongs in the hands of our military. No different than you cannot own a hand grenade. Why not? Right. Why should I not be allowed to own a hand grenade if I could own an AR-15? Why should I have this, this, you know, this weapon well, of, of destruction? Because it's not meant to shoot deer. You no. shoot a deer with an AR-15, you're going to explode the deer. I mean, this is not, this is not like owning a 30 odd six, you know, rifle or a handgun like, uh, what I had, a nine millimeter, a 40 caliber or a 45 for whether it's target practice or protection. I'm talking about, you also shouldn't be per permitted to own, you know, a fully automatic machine gun. There's just no purpose for it. These are, these are military grade weapons and it belongs only in the hands of the military when the military is deployed. That's my opinion. Well, I, I would add to that that there are 10 million AR-15s in America. The yeah. 10, 10 million folks. Um, and, you know, it's unclear who owns all 10 million of those things. I mean, it's that's what I'm saying. It's like this is a very uh, 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 important point that you're making. And I just think that we that I think the country is getting um, is ready to move that line of what's acceptable. And uh, I think, again, just starting with background checks, starting with magazines. I mean, you know, there's no reason to have, you, you know, these, you, you know, you, you know what need, they what they call they call them banana clips yeah. where you could have either 50 or 100, yeah. uh, 100 in a banana clip. And if you have an AR-15 or if you have a fully right. automatic machine gun, could you imagine like what happened in Las Vegas, yeah. the amount of damage that you can do with with a weapon like that? Here in New York, you're not even allowed to have a magazine that has 10 bullets into it, right? I mean, look, ghost well, guns, the same thing. Right. Our technology, Joe, has outstripped our old antiquated laws technology yeah. now has made it and has made it where you can manufacture a gun in your garage that's yeah. untraceable this is not with, normal yeah, with, right until biden said there's got to be an id number on there there was no way and, and and look the 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 whole point here is there's one party that's that's trying to at least address the problem and there's another party that is owned by the nra and won't do uh, uh, anything uh, about it. Nothing. There's nothing you can do. It's the Second Amendment, right? Um, I, I guess they'd, they'd be happy if you could own a hand grenade. I mean, it's just, it, 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 that's the choice. That's what I'm trying to say. We have to give the American people a choice between those two. What's the future of this country that you want to live in? And I think you make, I think a lot more Americans are closer to where you're at right now than where the Republican Party is and Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump. And Look, I certainly, is NRA I certainly, now. certainly hope so. Yeah, I certainly hope so. But Joe, you also recently retweeted a number of articles about the electoral battle between France's Emmanuel Macron over Marie Le Pen as examples of how a broad anti-authoritarian democracy-minded coalition is needed to defeat these frightening agents of hate. What are the main takeaways from that election that should be applied to our own politics with the obvious understanding that French and American politics 
are radically different. Yet still, there are key insights here that really need to be understood. What's your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, France is going through hyperinflation, as it, like the UK and most of Europe and all of the United States, you know, in the United States. So a lot of the same reasons that a Le Pen can harness that anger that you're talking about and, you know, and aim it at the incumbent is happening there. I think what is happening in France that is, is different is um, what you said, that they're building a, a broad-based coalition to stop the authoritarian. It's democracy versus authoritarianism. And Le Pen is, I think, got a top. I mean, she's got a ceiling because there are enough uh, across the spectrum of parties, enough uh, 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 people in France that will, when for, if you force the, 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 the decision is, okay, there's inflation in a, in, a, in a leader who's helping in Ukraine and doing everything he can to keep inflation low, as low as possible, but it's going up, versus an authoritarian who wants to get out of NATO, although she's sort of softened that, but, you know, uh, uh, basically is for Putin and said so. Um, that's the choice. Until Putin, for- until Putin shows up in her backyard, right? right? I remember, you know, my father being a Holocaust yeah, survivor, but, you know, but he was a child at the time. I remember at once asking his mom, uh, my grandmother, you know, you know, why didn't you leave? Why did you know you were there in Poland? And, you know, they were. So, she, you know what her answer was? We never expected that they were going to come into Poland. Yeah. Well, that's but that's the whole thing here is that um, I think there are enough people. It's interesting. Uh, I was in uh, in uh, Athens, Greece recently, about uh, a month or two ago. Um, and the scary thing was to get in a, ca- a cab in Athens or, you know, or on the street at a cafe talking to people. And they were confused about who the Nazis were in the fight between Russia and Ukraine. In other words, the 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 um, the Putin propaganda that that they were fighting the Nazis in Ukraine was seeping through to European citizens. Um, uh, And we don't understand, that's what's fascinating about this. The fear of Nazism in Europe is obviously far greater than here in the United States. Again, because of the the distances and things. And, And because of that fear, Putin was able to actually get people confused about whether Zelensky was leading a Nazi Ukraine. I mean, I was hearing this from from taxi drivers. I think in France, they figured out that uh, I think hopefully enough people have figured out that it's Le Pen that could be the one, the person, the leader that would that would be the biggest threat to that happening uh, in in France, whereas Again, it's about making the choice, and I think Macron has a better shot because of that. Yeah, well, let's hope. Yeah. Um, so, look, Joe, as the hour is winding down, I have one last uh, question for you. Now, this summer, we're going to see another potential attack on women's reproductive rights at the Supreme Court as they rule on the new Mississippi case with the potential um, of overturning Roe versus Wade. Now, 
What are Democrats doing behind the scenes to mobilize on this incredibly important issue? And how will this help drive turnout in November? Or do you think it won't, you know, um, help drive out uh, turnout at all? I mean, what's the what's your theory on this? I think it could be a a very um, different outcome than, than in terms of turnout uh, than people think. I mean, one, um, I I think the court is I'm pretty sure you probably agree with me. The court's likely to to overturn Roe v. Wade, um, given the makeup of the court. Uh, yes, I that's do. That's likely to happen. So, interestingly, you have to ask yourself a, a question. Um, they've used that they need to take the court uh, so they can overturn Roe v. Wade, and that's why you have to vote against these heathen, demon-worshipping Democrats. Um, and now you had the court remove the reason that you have to go vote. Um, I, I actually think there's a, a, a chance here that they are going to diminish turnout on their side. Um and with the opposite impact, possibly for the 2022 midterm, being that more women um, and others uh, who are. Uh, uh, and by the way, I've been in a ton of focus groups. There are a lot of pro in Alabama. I did focus groups in Alabama for the whole time. Doug Jones was you know, running in 2017, running in 2020. And Republican women in Alabama who are pro-life all we're saying, I don't know if overturning Roe v. Wade is such a good idea. I mean, they 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 had angst about it. They were worried about it. They weren't like, oh yeah, anymore. Um, and so I think there's a chance they could diminish their turnout, and that some of those women would say, no, you've gone too far, and and, and turn out and vote Demo vote for Democrats, for like, pro choice Democrats. But we'll see. I, I think it is going to have a big impact. Uh, I don't think it's going to. Um, just sort of quietly go away. I, I think it's going to have an impact, and I think it may be an impact that the Republicans are not ready for. Yeah, listen, all we could do is hope on that. Yeah. It was funny. I was talking to a friend of my daughter's who turned around and said, boy, re reality is really being shaped by some of the stuff that you see on television today. And she went back and she was explaining to me how the entire Trump administration mirrored the television show House of Cards. Yeah. And now with this upcoming um, law and the possibility of overturning Roe v. Wade, she goes, it's like the beginning of The Handmaid's Tale, right? Season one, episode one. Well, and she goes, my God, it scares the shit out of me. I mean, they're young women. And, you know, look, whether you are pro-life or you are uh, pro-choice. That's your prerogative. So you deal with your body as your own temple. You know, that's between you, your body, and God, right? But to be able to impose upon somebody else's free will what they want to do, you know, and then yeah. to go so far as to say, and again, it goes right back to technology because we've now been successful. I think the child or the fetus was something like eight weeks or 10 weeks, um, and they were able, you know, to take care of it uh, through science and technology, and then the child uh, grew to full term. Now, that's a rarity, but it changed the whole conversation because, once again, well, you know, science has just yeah, far but, outpaced religion. 
but that that gets to the point. It's the woman, her God, and her doctor. If her medical professionals, you know, if if that's who makes the decision, taking science and medicine into account, and they it, it, with their free will and and God, uh, they make it's their choice. And by the way, this is the party of of small government, right? That 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 uh, yeah yeah government should be out of should stay out of our lives. Yeah, except for oh, when, yeah. yeah. Now the thing I think. Uh, and I want to just posit this and then uh, uh, is one of the things is why are they doing this in Texas and Florida? You know, why are they passing these these laws? I think it's 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 basically a big flag screaming, hey, if 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 you should move here. And also, I think there's a whole bunch of progressives thinking I got to get the hell out of this state. So it's almost like the it's a you know, it's a cal- it's not just a calculation for moving the courts and everything. It's a calculation for how how we save Florida, how Republicans save Florida and Texas from turning purple. Right. It's it's to get as many people who believe in these it, 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 MAGA, whatever, to move here along with Donald um, and to scare the living daylights out of women and others to move the hell out. Um, OK, rest assured, the one thing, Joe, um if all the women move out of Florida or Texas and they move to other states, you could rest assured that the men are going to move there also. It's yeah, no different um, than ladies yeah. drink free, you know, at, at the I, I just think pub. this is I think this is what they're actually thinking. I'm not arguing that it's smart or anything else. I'm just no, talking about what. Yeah. What they're what Abbott has to be. What is this really about? Right. Uh, it can't be about. I think, you know, you can I guess it's about winning the the Trump primary in Texas for governor. Um, But it's going to have consequences, I think, that are going to come back to haunt them in in November. One of the reasons I think I'm pretty optimistic about 2022, actually, is the number of crazies that they're nominating. I mean, there are people that make Marjorie Taylor Greene look sane that are going to get their congressional. Yeah, but are going to get their congressional nomination. A lot of these and that's what I mean. You make that choice. That's okay. This is your choice now, Marjorie Taylor Greene or, or you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greene wannabe or the Trump wannabe versus this, um, uh, you know. And uh, and I think a lot like 2010. I don't know if you remember Michael, but the the Tea Party had just really taken hold of the of the Republican Party, and you had uh, I think it was O'Donnell in Delaware that uh, proclaimed she wasn't a witch, um, and there was a. In Missouri, the guy was uh, campaigning on uh, legitimate rape. Um, and I think in, in Nevada, there was like three or four candidates that were just so out there that they they were supposed to take the majority that year. And it completely blew up on them because of the crazies they nominated. I think there's a real chance that 2022 is going to be a lot like 2010 for them. With, they'll go with the help of, yes, but with the help of your organization yes, and, and so many others and getting out there and doing what we need to yeah. do. So, Joe, let me thank you for your time, for your insight. Can, let me just thank you for the conversation. And um, let's keep pushing can, this thing forward together. Can I plug my podcast? Absolutely. Uh, I hope if you enjoyed talk, this talk with Michael that you'll give my podcast that trippy show. You can find it wherever you find Michael's. Uh, give it a listen. Uh, we talk about the union a lot and uh, a lot of the things that uh, Michael and I talked about today. Thanks, Michael, for having that, me. That trippy show. Joe, thank you so much, my friend. Good to see you. Good to see you. Bye now. And now for today's mea culpa. 
The very last words of the traditional Seder are next year in Jerusalem, L'shana haba'a Yerushalayim. As the final moment in the Seder, it's emotionally significant and it finishes the Seder's journey from a reminder of the suffering of the past and present to hopes for wholeness and freedom for all in the future. I never thought of this as the literal to Jerusalem the place. Instead, it was a state of mind. It was a freedom in the most literal sense from worry, from fear, and from actual prison in my case. Over the past years, I have celebrated two satyrs inside prison, one inside solitary confinement, another under home confinement. This year is my first as a free man, both symbolically and literally. As you listen to this episode, I'm down in Florida with my mother and father, my father a Holocaust survivor who endured more than most people should in a lifetime, including their son's incarceration. Both prison and the pandemic have prevented me from visiting them. Now that I am with them, free from prison and free from the bondage of my past life under the thumb of Donald Trump, I will truly, for the first time, have made it to Jerusalem. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa, nothing but the truth. 